This is a special presentation brought to you by the DAFMAP based on one of the lectures given by Harav Yohonasan Berger Schlita. Please check out our other videos and shiurim at www.thedafmap.com. Today's shiur begins at the bottom line of Daf Mem Vov Omid Beis. We are in the middle of a discussion concerning Elisha and the Anshe Yericho, the story that we featured in our previous year involving uh, Elisha's uh, miracle of sweetening the otherwise bitter water supply of Yericho and thereby, uh, moment, uh, for the moment, causing a loss of income for those who were supplying the fresh water, the drinkable water. They uh, became very upset and uh, they started to ridicule the prophet and he uh, was uh, to, he was very displeased to, uh, to say the least and as a result they ended up dying and how did they die? They died through miraculous circumstances the uh, prophet as he was walking he, we saw in our previous year he he looked upon them and he cursed them in the name of God and we pick up with that the bottom line there's a description of what ensued two bears emerged from a forest uh, from the forest and they, uh, the, the bears killed 42 of the uh, young people who we are associating with those uh, water providers. Rav Ushmu, we're at the top of Mem Zayin Aleph. Rav Ushmu, Chad Omar Neis, Vechad Omar Neis, Besoch Neis. One opinion says there was one uh, absolute miracle, uh, you know, um, and the other one says there were two miracles that took place. Mandomar Nes, the opinion that says there was one miracle, miracle being the, uh, we'll say the, um, the, the uh, out of out of the ordinary, the unnatural event. So if you hold like this opinion that says there was one miracle, Yar Hafe, a forest was there. It was a natural growing forest where the prophet and these detractors were located. Dubim Lohavu. However, the forest had no bears in it. The miracle was that bears uh, appeared, or bears were created for this purpose of, uh, of retribution uh, from the uh, offenders. Mando Marnes Besochnes, according to the opinion that there was a double miracle, Lo Yar Havu, Dubim Havu. It was an area where there was no forest and there were no bears. The Gomorrah asks, well, within the context of a miracle, and let me uh, just edit by by way of a general statement or editorial statement, uh, I know that we're dealing with the realm of miracles, and, and yet we find time and time again the uh, the effort will say on the part of the Chazal to, to see whether uh, the, they could have managed with less miracle. And uh, the reason for that is, in general, uh, I could say, uh, let's say, Jewish philosophy is such that miracles are not the, we'll say, the the maximum or the maximal level of uh, of behavior. The best in terms of this world 
uh, is concerned. Olam Hazeh is things t- taking place through, we'll say, non-miraculous intervention. This essentially is the will of God. He created nature, the laws of nature, and would prefer that uh, that we go through life and uh, even experience our our salvation through natural means. And when miracles are needed, so it's some type of uh, extreme circumstance, uh, very pressing circumstance, uh, or there's some type of, we'll say, uh, divine need, for lack of better expression, for the purpose of mankind to see the miracle. But otherwise, we, uh, the Almighty would prefer uh, doing things within the context of nature, and for man to discover the Almighty through nature. There are, in fact, statements in the Chazal that we find uh, in a few places. Uh, one place stands out is Maseches Tainus, that it would actually be uh, better for man not to benefit from that which uh, is brought about miraculously. With that background in mind, we can continue in the Gemara. Uh, it asks, Veleheve uh, dubin, velo leheve yar. Let there have been bears that appeared without the forest. What was the need for having the forest? The Gemara answers a very interesting answer, and it says, Debeisi. The bears would have been afraid to attack. And mind you, we're dealing, uh, once again, within the realm of the miraculous. But even within the realm of, of the miraculous, as we said before, there's a tendency to uh, try not to depart uh, from nature, as at least as much as possible, to cling to the laws of nature, and a part of the laws of nature uh, in, uh, dictate that bears will uh, will not uh, act in a, uh, in a in an offensive, attacking fashion unless they have a fallback position, namely a a forest, a place of refuge which would give them confidence. And that's what the Gemara is saying here, that Deboisi means the bears would have been afraid to attack had they not had the forest background for them. And hence, the creation of the forest was necessary as well. Uh, before we continue in the Gemara, we have a note, a, a topic heading on the side, which reads, under the Nosei heading, Tots uh, Osov, the um, outcome, Shel Hakrovas Korbonus Al Yedei Bolok. In the Chumash, we find in Sefer Bamidbar, Bolok Melech Moyov, the king of the Moabite people, was threatened by the Jewish people traveling through the Midbar, and he uh, sought the services of the infamous Bilam, the prophet of the Gentiles, to curse the Jewish people. And as part of that story, we find Bullock offering sacrifices to the Almighty. And again, Bullock and Bilam were up to no good. They were up to attack the Jewish people, to defeat the Jewish people. And in the course of their schemes, we find Bullock offering sacrifices uh, hoping to arouse the uh, the Almighty uh, for uh, his cause. Omar Rabbi Hanina, Bishvil Arboim Ushnaim Korbonashik Bolok Melech Moyov. Because of the 42 sacrifices that this uh, evil king offered, but he offered them heavenwards, he offered them not to idols, but to God. 
Hivkeu miYisrael arboim ushnayim yiladim. There were forty-two deaths, losses to the Jewish people in the aforementioned story involving Elisha. Forty-two Jews died. The Gemara asks a question: Is that really the cause and effect with regard to Bullock and his sacrifices? We do find a Maimur Chazal regarding the outcome of his sacrifices, but not the 42 uh, young people that were killed. There's another outcome that we find, and Rabbi Yudah Marav tells us that a person should pursue the study of Torah and performance of mitzvahs, even if his motivations are not totally pure through one studying Torah and performing mitzvahs, even if his purpose is to to accrue uh, honor and pride and not for the pure sake of uh, heavenly fulfillment of commands nevertheless we say we say through the non-pure motive, you will come eventually to uh, fulfillment for purely for pure motives. And what's the precedent for that? What's the basis for such a uh, approach? As a reward for the forty-two sacrifices that the Bolak, the king of Moab, offered, and his offering certainly was not with pure motivation. Nevertheless, Rus, there came forth from him the great uh, historical figure, uh, Rus, the uh, great-grandmother of, of David. She, of course, had uh, merits uh, <laughs> on her own right, in her own rights. And she, Yotzimenu Shlomo, there came forth from Rus, uh, the great great grandmother of King Solomon, Shekosuf Bey, regarding King Shlomo Hamelech, it says, Elef Oilos Yale Shlomo. Many sacrifices, th- a thousand sacrifices the king would offer up. Vioma Rabyosi Ben Choni, Rus Bitoi Shel Egloin, Benoi Shel As far as genealogy is concerned, Rus was the daughter of Eglon, a Moabite king, who himself was a descendant from Bolok. So, the, the, what's the point of this long question? The point is, is that the outcome of the sacrifices of, that Bolok offered was the birth of uh, Rus, who was a descendant from the Moabite people, tracing her ancestry back to Bolok, and not the 42 uh, uh, young people that were killed. The Gemara answers, there's no question here per se, Tavoso miho leklola have. Bullock's intention, his tavos means his desire, was for cursing purposes. And, and that too came to fulfillment many years later in the time of Elisha. Vayomru anshioir el Elisha hinei no Moshe foir toiv kasher adoni ro'eh. The people of Yericho said to Elisha, Behold, our community is, uh, is very pleasant as you can see. The Gemara asks, how can they describe their community as a pleasant place to live? Uh, 
Elamato Vasa, the Pusik describes that region, that area of having a bad water supply, and Eretz Mishakelis is a place in which people die, and they're saying, and they're praising it. Rabbi Chonin reveals a, we'll say, a human truth, and that is, is that the grace of a place is upon its inhabitants. No matter, uh, without uh, citing uh, any specific um, well-known uh, uh, global metropolises, especially uh, those in which there's a significant Jewish population, uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, some of those places are, to the outsider, would be considered highly undesirable to live in. Whether it's pollution, whether it's traffic jams that can that can result in people's uh, transit time from work uh, to an hour and out to an hour and a half in one direction every single day. And yet, when you speak to those people, they'll say, "Oh, our town, our city is the greatest place on earth." How can that be? Here it is. There are three examples of grace whereby the one who perceives it uh, finds beauty and desirability, whereas uh, others, outsiders, wouldn't necessarily agree. And what are these three graces? The place that people dwell in for them is considered desirable. And here Rashi says, A husband uh, will, will, of course, uh, assuming... Um, some positive circumstances, uh, a husband will always appreciate his wife, will feel, always find her very desirable. Even if she is objectively ugly. Her husband finds her attractive. And number three, uh, a person purchases an article, uh, the purchaser appreciates it. Uh, even though to outsiders they might think, what what an odd, uh, what an odd item to have purchased. Uh, oftentimes, you can use uh, examples in the realm of furniture. Uh, a person has a uh, a particular, uh, let's say, a sofa that he puts in his in his uh, living room, and it's it's just totally incongruous with the with the uh, other furnishings and the and the decor of his uh, domicile, and yet he purchased it, put it there. Must be that he likes it. Uh, People would walking in will raise an eyebrow. So be it. Chain mekach al meko. The Gemara continues. Tonu Rabbonon shlosha chaloyin chola Elisha. There are three uh, sicknesses or ailments that Elisha experienced. Echad shegira dubin betinokos. One ailment was a type of punishment for his having acted in such a harsh fashion uh, against those um, youth that were taunting him. It's true, they, they had it coming to them, but maybe he went a little bit too far. Um, Rashi says, Echot Shigiro Dubin, the Shigiram is to incite the bears to uh, attack those young people. And Rashi says, Bavon Shigiro Dubin, it was viewed as a sin. It was, as I say, it was too harsh uh, on his part. And what else? Another ailment, Echot Yodayim. He also suffered a sickness because. 
of his overbearing approach to his uh, servant, Gehazi. Gehazi was not a positive character, and we're going to see, uh, as we go on in the Gemara, a little more about him. But nevertheless, he, uh, he, he pushed them away. He didn't, he didn't accept him after reprimanding Gehazi. We find he reprimanded him in, in a very harsh fashion. And the analogy used by the Gemara is he pushed them away with two hands. If you want to reprimand someone, and we'll see this too as described later in the Gemara, you, you reprimand him in a moderated fashion. And that would be by pushing him away with one hand. You, continuing the analogy but two hands is too harsh and he he Elisha was punished for that and there was a final uh, ailment Shemes Bo that he eventually died from Shemar and the the reference to three ailments is seen in this posuk Elisha Cholo es Cholyoi Asher Yomus Bo and Rashi describes Cholo uh, the word Cholo accounts for uh, one and S Cholyo accounts for two and Asher Yomuspo accounts for uh, the third ailment. We continue in the Gemara, Tonu Rabbonon. Uh, on the side, we have a topic heading. You'll notice uh, the Nosei slash Mivne heading, Le'olom Yehei Smoil Doiche Yamin Mekarev. It should always be that if you need to reprimand, to castigate, so do so with your left hand. The left hand being, uh, for the majority of the population, is the weaker hand. So when you want to castigate, when you push away, uh, you do so with in a weaker fashion. And when you want to draw someone near, you want to endear someone to yourself, do so with, with a greater strength and let the right hand be that which draws near. The double underline marking that you will see as you scan down the Gemara uh, highlights three, we'll say, examples of individuals who did not follow this dictum. And we highlight the low Kamo, number one. Uh, the first double underline involves uh, Elisha. It's Elisha and Gehazi. Number two it involves Yehoshua ben Prachyo and his student. And... I should say, uh, just let me correct myself, uh, there were two examples, not three, that we will feature in the Gemara. And those, those are the two double underlines that you see in the next number of lines. So now we look in the Gemara. One should always behave in such a way that the left pushes away and the right draws near. Not like Elisha and his uh, behavior with regard to Gehazi, who pushed him away with two hands. Nor like the behavior of Yehoshua ben Prachio with regard to one of his students that he pushed away with two hands. We have a note on the side to uh, look into a work called Chesroinus Hashas. Chesronus Hashas is a work in which censored portions of the Talmud were, uh, let's say, put, were accounted for, uh, and in other words, that which had been censored out is recorded in this work called Chesronus Hashas, 
and in some uh, Gemara editions, some uh, uh, contemporary editions of the Shas, you even find uh, them printed into the text, sometimes in a different font, but whatever the case is, it's uh, readily accessible. So in, the, in that particular work called Chesronus, meaning that which is missing from the Shas, there is a reading here that as it says Lok Yoshua ben and the Notsri is a reference to the founder of uh, or the, the one who is, uh, who is uh, identified as the founder of Christianity uh, we're not going to uh, get into this uh, dis- a, a, a rather uh, in-depth in discussion concerning uh, um, chronology, but it's uh, interesting to note, at least, and I know that it's the subject of a, a great deal of research and and scholarly work concerning uh, the issue of dating. Just to put things in a certain historical perspective, if you make this assumption that uh, that the founder of Christianity was in fact a student of Yehoshua ben Prachia, bear in mind Yehoshua ben Prachia lived several generations before even Hillel and Shammai. And we know about Hillel. Hillel uh, lived at a point in time that was um, approximately a hundred years before the destruction of the base Hamigdash. Some associate Hillel with the date of 30 before the Common Era. Uh, And then you have to you roll back several generations before, and you get to the, we'll say the the the, uh, the date for Yoshua ben Prachia, and that's about all we're going to say on this topic. Something that for those of you who want to research it further, so here you have an interesting uh, starting point: the notesry. The notesry. Uh, some will say the the Nazarene, uh, and I'm sure most of the listeners know to whom we are referring. We'll get back to that story in, the, in a number of lines where you can see our double underlined highlight of Yoshua ben Prachia appears. In the meantime, Elisha Maihi. What's this story involving Elisha? So the Gemara, as we've said many times in Gemara markings, is presupposing a certain level of familiarity with the uh, we'll say the storyline of the Tanakh. So a bit of brief background here. There was a, a military official from one of the uh, surrounding nations. Uh, his name was Naamon. He was a Sar Tzava. He was a uh, military uh, uh, general of that particular nation. And he suffered from uh, Tsaras. And uh, to, just to make the long story short, he was uh, healed from his Tsaras through the advice that Elisha, the Jewish prophet, gave. And uh, that involved his immersing in the, uh, in the Jordan River. Uh, and uh, miraculously, that helped Naaman. And Naaman felt a sense of gratitude and offered the, the prophet presents involving eight different items. Uh, and the prophet... Refused to accept any uh, remuneration for his uh, for his advice, and uh, there was this um, uh, we call the Elisha's servant. Uh, He uh, was a a person of uh, let's say of 
desire of uh, maybe lust and he said oh, what a shame all this wealth that my uh, master uh, could have achieved and he's letting it all go and he Gehazi by name uh, after Naaman departed on his way Gehazi caught up with him and uh, said uh, said to the uh, the general uh, Naaman oh, you owe us uh, something and in the storyline uh, he requested two of the uh, eight gifts that had been offered to Elisha of course the for as far as Elisha is concerned that was a disaster here was a chance to sanctify the name of the almighty here a prophet of God almighty uh, helped this Gentile ind- uh, individual general and uh, did so uh, out of certainly out of the the norm and, and accepted no remuneration and here his Elisha's uh, servant is coming and 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 ruining everything by by uh, insisting on some payment the Gemara the uh, military general that was healed offered payment. We, we should simply mention that this Posuk Chav Gimel where Vayomer Naamon Hoel Kach Kikorim was Naamon addressing Gehazi as we mentioned earlier Gehazi requesting some payment so Naamon offers him take these uh, these loaves and in the Posuk you see also Khalifos uh, clothing suits were also offered. Uh, that's Posuk of Gimel. As you go on in the storyline, <coughs> Gehazi eventually comes back to Elisha, and Elisha asks him, uh, where, where were you? And Gehazi says, I didn't go anywhere. And, and Elisha says as follows, Uksiv, Vayomer elav lo libi halach, kashohafach ish me'al merkavto likroscha, did my heart not go with you? In other words, here, this, we're dealing here with a prophet who doesn't have to be physically present, and he knew very well that Gehazi had gone to Naamon, uh, stopped him uh, from, on his trip, and uh, Gehazi took things from him. Ha'es lo kachas es ha'kesef v'lokachto begodim v'zeisim u'kromim v'tsoyin u'bokor v'avodim u'shvachas uh, this and, and you took from him eight things. The Gemara asks, uh, why is the prophet charging Gehazi with having taken eight gifts? When you look at the posuk, as we mentioned a moment ago, in posuk of Gimel, you see that he didn't take eight things. He took he took two things. He took the the uh, kikarim, uh, the uh, baked goods, and uh, and suits of clothing. Omar Rabbi Yitzchak, Hoya Elisha When this event had taken place, Gehazi and Elisha had been studying uh, the the chapter in Maseches Shabbos called Shmoyne Shrotzim. What's significant for us is that the name of the chapter in Maseches Shabbos is called the Eight Shrotzim. Omar Lo Rosha, so uh, that is, uh, Elisha says to Gehazi, "You wicked man, Higia Ace Litoil Schar Shmoyne Shrotzim." Now is your time for getting the reward of your having studied that parak. And the 
uh, affliction that Naaman suffered from the Tsaras will cling unto you and your descendants forever. So that when the prophet was saying you took eight things, he didn't mean you took literally eight items. Rather, the, the items that you took, okay, you took those things, uh, keep them, so to speak, as your reward for having studied the Perak called Shmoina Shrotzim, the eight Shrotzim. But there's no such thing as a free lunch. That's your reward. Enjoy it. But you're going to suffer for having, say, foiled my plan in establishing a Kiddush Hashem, and you will now suffer with Tsaras, you and your descendants. A posuk that makes reference to four uh, Mitzayroyim that you find in Sefer Melochim, Melochim Beis Perek Zion, it says, Without getting, getting into the, the whole story behind those four Mitzorim, all we need to say at this point is that that curse did uh, come to fruition. Gechazi and his three sons were all Mitzorim. Vayelech Elisha Damesek Lomaholach the Pesach says that Elisha went to Damesek. What did he go there for? Damesek is a city. Uh, maybe it's associated with uh, Damascus, but it's a, it's a city outside of Israel. And it says that Elisha went there. What did he go there for? He went to uh, retrieve, to have Gehazi come back um, in, in repentance, but he didn't do so. Omar lo, Chazor b'cha, Elisha pleaded uh, with Gehazi, return, uh, at, uh, repent. Omar lo, kach mekublani mimcha. Gehazi said, uh, thusly I had received from you. Call me shechota v'hichti es harabim. Anyone who not only sinned, but caused others to sin, ain maspikin biyodo lasos tshuva. He isn't, he's not afforded the opportunity to repent. My Ovad, what did he do that the Gemara says he's guilty of Mahti Esarabim, that he caused others to sin? So you'll see a list of possibilities, and the triangles uh, highlight that. On the side under the Mivne heading, the triangle appears. These are Gimel, Deos, Bema, Gechazi, Hichti, Esarabim. In what way did Gehazi cause the public to sin? So we continue now in the Gemara. Some say, Again, Tanakh background would be very helpful. Uh, so we'll just briefly say, many years earlier there was a king called Yeruvam, in English, I think he's referred to as Jeroboam. He was a contemporary of the son of Shlomo HaMelech. Again, just as for historical, for purposes of historical perspective, it's uh, it's it's uh, many many generations, sorts of several generations earlier. This king Yeruvam. Uh, was uh, threatened, uh, so to speak, by the by King by Rechavom, and he caused the split in the Jewish nation 
uh, he, Yeravam, heading the northern, uh, uh, the northern part of Israel, com- comprised of ten tribes. The southern region of Israel, the two tribes, uh, Yehuda and Binyamin, remained under the leadership of the descendants of base David, of the, of the Davidic dynasty. During this time, when Yeruvam ascended to power, uh, he uh, didn't want the masses of Jews to, to practice the thrice annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So he set up uh, golden calves, uh, ironically, uh, one uh, at the, we'll say, the southern extent of his kingdom, and one in the northern part of his kingdom. The uh, Gemara makes reference to those uh, uh, golden calves, which uh, Yeruvim suggested as an alternative uh, uh, place of worship to the Beis Amigdash. Those calves are referred to by the word chatos, the uh, the sinful, we'll say the sinful calves. They were metallic, they were gold. And what uh, Gehazi did is he set up some type of a magnetic apparatus that's referred to as Evan Shoeves, uh, uh, literally a drawing stone. But um, Rashi describes it as something that would appear to be a, um, a magnet that was capable of lifting these um, golden calves into the air. Uh, that created some type of, we'll say, imagery uh, in the eyes of the masses. Maybe uh, they, maybe they didn't know how the calves were suspended. I don't know exactly uh, exactly what was in the minds of the masses when they saw this. But but what they did see were these floating golden calves, and that would certainly um, increase their significance in the eyes of the masses, and hence. Um, he, Gehazi, for having done this, is called a Mahdi Esarabim, causing um, ma- uh, massive sinning. The Ika, the Amri, another version is Shem Chokak Lo Apuma. Again, with reference to the uh, golden calves of Yeruvam, not a magnet, but rather he knew the ineffable name of God and he etched that out on the mouth of these golden calves and the calf would say uh, the, the first two commandments of the ten commandments Anochi, Anochi reference to Anochi Hashem Elokecha and Velo Yelocha Elohim Achirim and you shall not have other God forms so these, the, this golden calf then in effect was saying I am your God and naturally that would be a uh, major mach- example of Mahdi es Harabim. The A third version is a practice of Gehazi, where he did not allow the uh, the rabbis of the time. Uh, the the Tam- Rashi refers to the students of Elisha. Well, if we can make the assumption that Elisha was the Godel Hador, he was the the major. Torah luminary of his generation, so uh, all all the rest of the population would be considered his students. And this Gehazi limited the access of the Rabbonon to Elisha. Elisha naturally, if Rabbonon had uh, legal questions, halachic questions that needed resolution, they would have turned to Elisha, but he limited their access to him. How do we know that? Bichtif. We know because it says in the scripture, it says in the Pesach after Gehazi was 
removed from the scene. It says, Vayomru b'nei hanavim el Elisha, the um, student prophets, we'll say the, the scholars, they said to Elisha, Hinei no hamoklem ashonachnu yoshvim shom lefonecho tsar mimenu. They, were, they, they complained that there isn't enough room for all of us. Um, so what can we infer? Michlal, it would then seem to be that the Adoidna, until now, when Gehazi was still around, lo havedochik, it wasn't tight. In other words, there was enough room. Why? Because Gehazi was keeping the people away from uh, uh, Elisha. Once the Gehazi uh, barrier was removed, so naturally there were many were now able to come in, and their, their reaction was that there isn't enough room for us all, uh, for all of us over here. Yehoshua ben Prachya Maihi. What is the incident involving Yehoshua uh, ben Prachya? Uh, and, and and the student, we already mentioned who that student was, according to the Chesronos Hashas. Again, here's historical perspective. Uh, there's a reference here to Yanai uh, Hamelech. When this this king, he was a, a king uh, from the, uh, we'll say, the Hasmonean dynasty, who uh, was... Um, very unfavorable, to put it mildly, to uh, to the rabbis, and he he is responsible for the murder of many rabbinical figures of his time. Uh, so when that was happening, Shimon ben Shetach, another luminary of that period, Amtinhu Achte, his sister, who happened to be the queen, uh, she hid Shimon ben Shetach, which was her brother. So he escaped uh, death through the uh, good offices of his sister. Rabbi Shimon Prachio, he didn't have that luxury. Ozal, Orak, Alexandria, Shel Mitzrayim. He escaped to Alexandria in Mitzrayim. So, Rabbi Yeshua ben Prachio saved his life by running away. Ki when peace came, when the, the coast was clear, Sholach lay Shimon ben Shetach. Shimon ben Shetach sent, sent a message to Alexandria, Mini Yushalayim Irakudish Loch Alexandria Shel Mitzrayim. And it's a, it's a type of, uh, we'll say, coded message. Uh, he says, From Jerusalem, the holy city, to Alexandria of Mitzrayim, Achosi Bali Shorui Besochech, Vani Yosheves Shomeimo. My sister, my husband, is um, is dwelling in you, meaning in Alexandria, and I am I am dwelling in in in, de- in desolateness. Uh, so, uh, what Shimon Meshetta is saying, uh, he's uh, saying, you know, that he who is in Alexandria needs to come back here to Yerushalayim. Omar, so Yeshua ben Brachio receiving this message said, Shma mino, have le shama. It's, it's a sign that things are peaceful. So he, he uh, started on his journey back to Yerushalayim. Ki also, on his way, iklo lahu ushbizo. He arrived at an inn. Kom kamayu biakro shapir. The innkeeper, the woman 
the woman uh, was uh, the innkeeper. Uh, in, in far, as far as the storyline is concerned, it's a married woman that uh, served Yoshua ben Prachia and his entourage, Biyakra uh, Shapir in, in Yakra's uh, honor, covered. In, in, uh, Shapir means uh, a lot of or a good amount of uh, proper respect. Avdi le Yakra Tuva. Uh, and she she served them with great respect. Yosef v'ko mishtabach. He was Yosef uh, He was sitting there and he was praising Kama Noah Achsanya Zu. Now he said, "How Noah?" Here we get we run into a we'll say a, a translation problem or the uh, the double entendre of what Noah can mean. So Yosef Menachem was saying. Kama Noah, Noah is a word referring to pleasantness. can also mean beautiful. So he was saying, he used the word Noah. So how Noah is this uh, hostess? Omar le echot mitamidov. And echot mitamidov, we've dashed underline, that's a reference to, according to the Chesrenus Hashas, this is a reference to the founder of Christianity, the Notsri, the, the Nazarene. So he was a student, part of this entourage, said, Rebbe, Eneha Trutos, her eyes, her eyes are, are, are very round, they're, they're ugly. In other words, Trutos literally means they're, they're spherical, they're round, as opposed to uh, the eyes' normal uh, look would be, uh, we'll say, almond-shaped. So after hearing the, his Rebbe, Rebbe Shimon Prachi, saying, Kama Noah, Sanyazu, his reaction was, how can you describe her as Noah, which that in his mind, in, this, in the Talmud's mind, uh, how can you describe her as physically beautiful when she is ugly? Oh, my So the Rebbe says, Rabbi Shum Rafi says, Russia, you wicked one, that's, that's, that's what you're involved with. That's what your mind is on, 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 on physical beauty and, and gazing upon women and what have you. I said, she's, uh, she serves us a very, she, what I said, she's no, I mean, she's serving us very pleasantly and, and your mind is preoccupied with physicality and a very undesirable uh, 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 behavior on the part of, of, of people. Uh, certainly the Torah trains us to, to uh, let's say, have pure thoughts and not be preoccupied with this kind of thinking. And you see that that's what was on his, this student's mind. Apik Arba Meo Shipuri Vishante. There is a, this, this term you find elsewhere in the Shas, it's a reference to putting someone into excommunication. The word shamte is excommunication. And the translation of this phrase is, he, 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 he took out or he blew forth 400 chauffeurs. The blowing of the chauffeur was a um, means of announcing, we'll say, uh, uh, excommunication. And for our purposes, the Rebbe uh, censured this student. Every for, on, uh, day after day, uh, the student sought uh, to return. He wanted to be uh, accepted back into the uh, into the fold. On one day, uh, this happened again, where the student approached uh, Rabbi Yeshua and Prachia, and he, Rabbi Yeshua, it was in the middle of. Uh, of, of reciting the Kriyashma. During Kriyashma, one is not, a, not allowed to engage in conversation. 
So while he was saying Kriyashma Osala Kame, the student came again like he's like he's been doing in the past. On just on that moment, he said, you know, now is the time to take him back. So he made some kind of hand motion. The hand motion, uh, his intention was to basically say, wait in a, wait a moment. Uh, I, I am interested in taking you back. However, it's a hand motion. It can also be understood in the opposite way. And the student thought that he was being pushed away once again. Uh, that was the called the last straw. And Ozal Zokaf Leventa Palcha. He went ahead, he went and he erected a brick and and started to worship the brick. There, the uh, the concept of a of a brick being used in worship, you actually find uh, more on this in in uh, if I'm not mistaken in Maseches Avodah uh, there's a discussion about that. Uh, for our purposes, though, it it represents a we'll say as we said the final straw, whereby he uh, this student rebels and becomes an, an apostate. So Rabbi Shulavin Brach says, "Come back." I have, just like we saw earlier, that anyone who sins and causes others to sin is not accepted back in repentance. And here we have a, uh, a statement of what he was involved with. And again, if you look in the Chesreinus Hashas, it says here, Yeshu. Yeshu is an abbreviation of Yamach Shemoi Vizichro, a reference once again to the founder of Christianity, and what did he do? Kishef, he was involved with Kishuf. Kishuf is black magic. Uh, black magic is a, we'll say, is a reality. It's uh, and and you you may may have heard stories of what uh, that founder of uh, of Christianity was capable of doing. Uh, things that would appear, in, let's say, in the supernatural. Very fine. You see, you see here in the Talmud itself a reference to that, uh, but it's not because of divine powers. It's because he had the knowledge of how to arouse the powers of the occult, of uh, black magic, the hasis, the hediach, hasis and mediach are uh, are terms uh, uh, that 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 are used to uh, describe those who cause others to rebel and become apostates. The hechti es Yisrael caused the masses to sin. And uh, that's a, quite an, an apt description of that individual. Again, the issue of chronology, history, and all that that, that entails is something that one might want to research further. But from, from, our, uh, from our perspective, uh, assuming, of course, the uh, the, send, the, the that which the censor uh, took out and ought to be returned, you can see uh, what is being described. Tanya, Rabbi Shimon ben Olozer Omer, Yetzer Tinok Isha. When it comes to the Yetzer, Yetzer is the Yetzer the evil inclination. Tinok, children, Isha, women, uh, women, uh, wives of individuals. When one needs to 
uh, we'll say, suppress, when one needs to reprimand, uh, when one needs to chastise, do so, but in a moderated fashion. As we've said a few times today already, let the left push away, the weaker hand push away, and when it comes to drawing near and endearment, let the right draw near. Yetzer, the evil inclination, uh, it, that is the, more specifically, it's a reference to the, the, the desire, uh, man's desire for intimacy with women. So intimacy with uh, women in an, in an unbridled fashion is, of course, quite forbidden. Intimacy is uh, allowed in the context of marriage. Now, if a person, let us say, tries to uh, suppress his yetzer, it's quite possible that a person can do so in such a strong fashion that he will, as they say, it's like, as they might call it mind over matter, or psychologically speaking, can uh, impose upon himself a total disdain for intimacy, a, um, rep- a, a sense of repulsion from it. Ah, what have, you, what have we gained with that? Uh, there will be no procreation. The, the first and one of the major mitzvahs of the Torah is to engage, to engage in procreation. Uh, so that here the advice is that, it, yes, it's true, one must suppress his desire for intimacy, but not totally. And that's what we mean by the, let the smol be doicha. Leave a little room for desire, for at least that will be manifest with, you'll be able to uh, actualize that with one's own wife. Tinoka, child, uh, uh, the youth, and uh, the youth, time immemorial, uh, have been uh, very sensitive. And uh, if, you, if you chastise a, a youth too intensely, the fear is he'll run away and rebel. And uh, certainly as this recording is being made, uh, the, the stories abound with regard to that Problem, and you can see it's not something that's unique to uh, to this particular time in history, but it goes back all the, all the way back. Uh, Isha, likewise, with a woman, uh, with one's wife, uh, if uh, if a person uh, suppresses her, pushes her away, chastises her too uh, too intensely. Uh, she might uh, walk out, so to speak, while still married and uh, find herself with other men. And uh, Rashi says, Tetzi Litar and can actually uh, rebel and, and throw, throw away uh, all that which is dear and holy to us.